Coming up on this week's show, Lisa joins us to talk about some SpecFic book recommendations. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 183 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamsrights.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Mr. Will Knaus. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. I hope everyone had a fantastic week full of great books. I had that sort of annoying thing happen to me where I picked up a book and it wasn't what I was looking for. So I had to set it down. And that actually happened twice. So it was doubly annoying. But eventually, <laughs> I found a book. Like Goldilocks, I eventually <laughs> found a book that uh, made me extremely happy. And I cannot wait to talk about that. That'll be coming up in just a few seconds. Uh, you, sir, have been doing some writing this week. I have been. It's Christmas in April. Because, you know, that's what you have to do if you're planning to do a holiday book. So I've been off in Christmas land. Uh, trying to put together a holiday story that I want to submit uh, coming up in the, in the next few weeks. So we'll see how that sorts itself out. Uh, we're off on a trip next week, which will be exciting. We're going to be down at the LA Times Festival of Books, which comes up this following weekend uh, on the USC campus. Now, Dreamspitter Press is going to be at booth 141, and they've got some author signings set up. On Saturday, you can catch R.L. Merrill at 11 a.m., Brew Baker at 1, uh, Kim Fielding and v- Venona Keys will be signing at 3 p.m. On Sunday, S.A. Stovall is going to sign at 11, Reese Ford at 1, and hey, look, I'm signing at 3. Cool. Yay. Uh, and we're going to be doing some podcast stuff while we're there. We're definitely going to be checking in with the people over at Interlude Press as well. They're going to be at 153. I'm already anticipating having a major fanboy moment because Julian Winters is going to be there. And I so loved his book, Running with Lions. And we're also going to get a sneak peek of his new book, Ooh, coming out in September. Uh, Laura Stone and Aaron Finnegan are also going to be there for them. So if you're around the LA Times Festival of Books, uh, seek us out because we would love to say hello to you, mm-hmm. wouldn't we? Of course we would. <laughs> um, also... A little sad moment of passing this week. Crazy ex-girlfriend wrapped up on the CW. Made me sad, but also very happy at the same time. I've I've enjoyed these four years of this... I mean, what do you call it? A musical, comma, comedy, dramedy kind of show? Uh, for those who've never seen it, let's see if I can wrap it up really quickly. Um, Rebecca, Rebecca Bunch is this girl who moves to West Covina, California because she wants to get together with the guy that she hasn't seen since high school and uh, that doesn't go too well because she stalks him and then she goes through all of this looking for love and dealing with her mental health issues and it's all very funny and it's all has all this wonderful musical theater type soundtrack to it and I was thoroughly happy with how the finale turned out and the awesome concert the CW gave after it. Uh, if you've never watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it does stream on Netflix, and this final season should hit Netflix uh, by the end of the month, for sure, by the way that they release. And uh, it was just totally satisfying. Um, how did you feel about the finale and, and the and the wrap-up season? Um, I, I think the final season took some 
interesting directions. I actually think um, <clears throat> of the four seasons of the television show, this fourth and final was maybe not necessarily the most serious. I mean, I think they tackled the most um, uh, difficult subjects of the show's run, uh, but that doesn't make it any less funny or entertaining or enjoyable. Um, so I really enjoyed everything that Rachel Bloom came up with over the last four years. I think um, from everything I've seen online, she's very happy with the direction uh, the show took over its four season run. And I think they wrapped everything up uh, in a pretty entertaining, intelligent bow. So I was very happy with um, where all of the characters ended in their stories. Yeah. So again, if you want to check that out, look for it all on Netflix. Uh, by the end of the month, you can check out all four seasons. High school hockey player? Computer whiz? Covert agent? Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the codename Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Audio Assault, the third thrilling book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, a family friend needs urgent help. Theo is off to New York City, where he uncovers an insidious plot. Popular song files have been modified to steal personal data and emit a tone that drives some listeners into a homicidal rage. Theo races against the clock to stop the music from causing worldwide chaos. Anna at Gay Book Reviews says, The twists the plot took were so unexpected and exciting that I just couldn't put it down. Get Audio Assault, an ebook or paperback, at Amazon and other online retailers. So, the book I want to talk about this week is Arctic Sun by Annabeth Albert. And this is the first book in her brand new Frozen Hearts series. And I've already spoken about, I think it was a couple of weeks back now, um, how much I was looking forward to this book. Uh, and let me tell you, it did not disappoint. I was very, very happy <laughs> reading this book. Okay, so the story is about an Alaskan bush pilot named Griffin, and he is tasked with taking a tour group into the wilds of Alaska. Um, one of the uh, group members is a guy named River, and he is a former male model turned inspirational travel writer, and he's gathering information for his next book. Picture, if you will, sort of like it's like it's got photography and inspirational sayings, sort of like, you know, the books he does is sort of like Eat, Pray, Love, that kind of vibe. Okay. Okay. There's an immediate attraction and chemistry between them. And over the course of the week, um, as they spend more and more time together, they begin to fall for one another. And one of the many things that drew me into Arctic Sun is that Griff and River are two, like, really interesting, compelling, and um, genuinely dimensional characters with actual lives. And by that, I mean that they're not just like cardboard cutouts going through the motions, playing out um, like a standard romantic plot line. Um, these two characters, both of them have faced challenges in the past, and they've overcome them. And through emotionally intelligent conversations, they both work to figure out how they can move forward together. That's really what I think the the core of the book is all about uh, and what I um, love most about it. 
So real quickly, I want to talk about the trigger warnings that are at the front of the book. Um, both of these characters, as I've mentioned, have like dealt with some stuff in the past, and I think that adds depth and dimension to them. Um, Griff is um, working on his sobriety, and River um, has had an eating disorder. It's part of his like modeling past that he's you know still dealing with the repercussions of, and I don't want the trigger warnings to put anyone off. If these things are uh, difficult subject matters for anyone reading, um, you know, certainly proceed with caution. But I want to make sure that those subjects aren't the um, thrust of the story. Mm -hmm. um, Annabeth doesn't like wallow in like exploitative like angst and you know bleh. i mean i cer i certainly wouldn't be recommending that this book if that was the case i think uh, as i mentioned is the two characters um both see in one another the struggles that they've had in the past and there's a certain kinship that each of them has um because of that so it's dealt with in a very uh for uh, forthright way uh, in an intelligent way in a sensitive way um, so I just want to make sure everyone you know realizes that and after the tour is over our two heroes make plans to meet in Vancouver and River is going to be hanging out with some old friends from his modeling days and Griff's visit is going to sort of be a, a real world road test to see if their relationship can work now of course um, it's a complete disaster. Um, <laughs> the old friends bring out triggering scenarios for both Griff and River. And the thing is, is that their true real world um, was the connection that they shared in the like wilds of Alaska. Not like fancy date night restaurants and going to exclusive clubs, that sort of thing. Um, the problem is that they're using relationship criteria from their screwed up past to judge their current situation. So, of course, it doesn't work out. <laughs> um, but they realize that, you know, far too late and they end up breaking things off. And they each take time apart to do some soul searching. River about his family history and his public persona and how it relates to his work. And then Griff about how he interacts with the outside world, especially as it concerns his family's tour business in Alaska. Um Eventually, um, after they've kind of each separately worked through their own stuff, Griff makes his way to L.A. for the premiere of the film based on River's book. And the things they each want and need out of life are actually, you know, far more aligned than they first realized. They can, in fact, live, love, and work surrounded by the nature that each gives um, them so much joy. So, as I mentioned, I, it's super hard for me to kind of describe what was so engaging about this book because it's kind of just so normal. These, <laughs> these guys are just so normal and real and the conversations that they have about, you know, mundane stuff or, you know, deep um, you know, hurtful stuff that they've, you know, experienced in the past. I thought it was all really interesting. And um, it's what, like, pulled me in. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of like the deep connection that they each shared. And that's uh, that's really just hard for me to express because it's something so, like, visceral and emotional when you're going through the book. Mm -hmm. So I, I recommend this first book in the series. I think it's... I really cannot wait for the next one because um, I think this really sets a really 
um, powerful and interesting uh, uh, precedent. And I think uh, the rest of these books are going to be exceptional as well. Um, something I also want to quickly mention before we move on is that some people are calling this book a slow burn. And um, I don't personally think Arctic Heat um, qualifies as a slow burn because I think in general, a, when it comes to a slow burn romance, the author is like deliberately and purposefully teasing out the romantic threads of a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's the case here. Um, while the the relationship between our two characters in the story certainly does not move at a you know lightning fast pace, I think it moves at a deliberate pace and an intelligent pace and at the pace that works for Griff and River. Mm-hmm. Now, this book is actually longer than your average romance i looked it up online uh this book runs about ninety-five thousand words which is in fact uh roughly twice as long as most of the books that i've been reading for the last like year and a half Mm -hmm. so as i was reading the story i was aware that it was taking me longer than usual to get through the story, but I don't think that was a bad thing. Like I said, I personally really connected to Griff and River and their uh, individual journeys. So I highly recommend uh, Arctic Heat by Annabeth Albert. I like a lot of what you said about this book with them being just normal guys. I mean, that fits in so much with your nice guy thing anyway, Mm -hmm. but the normal part of it, and this was just essentially life happening in a way. Um, I like I like that vibe in romances quite a lot, and it's it's, it's 180 degrees from what we're about to talk about <laughs> <laughs> with my book this week. Uh, I read book three in Gregory Ash's Hazard and Somerset series, which is called Paternity Case. Uh, where this for you really carried no angst at all in your book, mm-hmm. I had all the angst over here. Uh, of the three books in this series that I've read so far, this one made me the most tense and in a lot of ways the most upset just by what was happening here and what this mystery involved. And we'll be talking about trigger warnings uh, before we get to the end of the review as well. But to, to kind of dive in, uh, Gregory's way with mystery thrillers and us, the slowest burn romance ever, we're in book three and these two are still not a couple yet. Mm-hmm. That's slow burn. Mm-hmm. And it's very deliberate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these elements keep drawing me back, too. Uh, after dealing with the, the clue-like mystery that happened over Thanksgiving and transposition, in this book, the action now moves to Christmas. So we've clicked just a few weeks forward. Uh, in an interesting turn of events, and this is something I think only Gregory could really concoct, The book opens with Emery Hazard and John Henry Somerset on a double date. Now, readers of this series know that this cannot end well because this date involved Hazard and his boyfriend, Nico, and Summers has brought his estranged wife, Cora, and they're attempting to have this meal together. Your facial expressions right now are exactly what's wrong with this scene. Saying that this scene is uncomfortable is an understatement, and yet it's the perfect scene to begin this book because it sets up the back-and-forth sniping that Hazard and Somerset do throughout the story. 
the mystery and paternity case revolves around an incident that occurs at the Somerset family home. Uh, Summers's father calls him away from dinner to help with the problem. And when Hazard and Summers arrive at the scene, they discover a very high and quite naked Santa causing issues at the party. And before they could sort out why this is happening, a teenage girl is dead. Summers's father is shot multiple times and the Santa is killed after being taken into police custody. And very shortly thereafter, because Santa's dead, Technically, the case is closed, and Hazard and Somerset have been told to leave it alone. Now, nothing's ever as what it seems in a Hazard and Somerset book, and the reason and motive for the shootings is really disturbing and, and rather extraordinary at the same time. Uh, Gregory has concocted his most twisted mystery of the series here, and it shines an even brighter spotlight on the shady goings-on in the Warreta good old boy network. I'm always stunned at how Gregory reveals the whodunits, and this one just continually blew my mind. There were just little explosions happening all over my head um, as I listened to this book. Now, we know from previous books that Summers and Hazard have a very complicated past, uh, both together and separately. Significant details are finally laid out in this book, and we find out why Hazard had to leave St. Louis, which I'll admit was not as shocking as I expected, but it doesn't prevent those in power and Warreta from trying to capitalize on it. We also get more of what happened to these boys in high school, and this is one of the areas that really upset me. Um, much more about Summers' his senior year came to light, and the feelings that he has for Hazard uh, continue to have such a major impact on the things that he's doing in the present. And I have no doubt this is all going to reverberate even more in the following books. Uh, many authors would really look to dump out all this information about their past much faster. And I really like how Gregory has pulled this through three books so far because it really lands with so much impact where and when he chooses to drop these nuggets of information. It's, it's masterful backstory. Um, and it's really, it's like a traffic accident because it's so uncomfortable to witness and you just cannot look away from it. The, the way that he's done this, just it keeps me glued to the proverbial page, which, of course, I'm listening on audio. So call that what you will. Uh, I can't wait to see what gets revealed next. And it just the far reaching implications of almost every line of the book are just like it's crazy, people. It's crazy. Um, now, I have to call out some side characters here, too. One in particular. Um, Summers' mother, Grace Elaine, has been mentioned in, in some previous books, but we really see her in this one. She is every bit the Southern matriarch who you do not want to cross. Uh, she is sugary sweet in one moment, and then when you're one-on-one -on -one with her, she can just turn around and claw your eyes out. Uh, the cat and mouse game that she plays with Hazard in this book equally parts highly entertaining and very disturbing. Uh, she goes to great lengths to protect her son, her family, and what she believes is right, while all the while truly being a terrible person. Uh, she made me shudder because I knew people like her from growing up in the South. Um, they're real and they're, and they're scary. Now, back to the mystery. It's, it's really so impossible for me to easily talk about this without revealing too much. Suffice to say, of the three books so far, this mystery has been the most disturbing because of the ramifications for the teenage characters involved. Not only the girl who's killed, but two of her friends who are swept up in the drama. 
anyone who is potentially triggered by abusive parents or child abuse and similar issues would be advised to proceed cautiously with this book. And I can't couch it like you did your trigger warnings. Mm -hmm. This one can get you. Um, And as I said, this was like the most emotionally impactful of these books so far for me. All of that said, I am ready to move on to book four. Mm. Um, I have no doubts that the things that were planted in this book will matter even more of what follows. And I can't wait to see where it ultimately ends. Uh, quickly to note, I did the audiobook, And of course, Tristan James continues to do an outstanding job uh, with his narration of this series. So I highly recommend Paternity Case, which is book three in the Hazard and Somerset series by Gregory Ash. And certainly go back and read the previous ones if you haven't picked them up yet. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So Lisa's back with us with four great books to recommend. If speculative fiction is your thing, these might be the reads that you are looking for. Very happy to welcome Lisa back to the podcast. How's everything going? It's going great. I'm always glad to be here and chat with you. Excited to hear what you're going to be adding to my TBR this month because that always happens. <laughs> I know you're kicking off with one of our mutually favorite authors, Gregory Ash. Yes. Just before we got into this, I reviewed Paternity Case and, of course, adored it and had my mind blown. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a brand new book in the Hollow Folk series. Yes, absolutely. Actually, um, I started reading uh, the Hollow Folk series first and then went into Hazard and Somerset. So I kind of I kind of went the opposite way of, of the way you would go if you decide to read the Hollow Folk series. But and I'm uh, definitely going to because you've sold this one as well as you did Hazard and Somerset. <laughs> And it's just so, it, it's such a great, uh, it's, a, it's a great departure from Hazard and Somerset. If you're looking for the broad range of Gregory Ash's storytelling uh, abilities, um, this is a, a series that takes place in a small town, and he always picks small towns that I can't pronounce, the Peasy, Wyoming. <laughs> I'll, I'll, we'll just say it's that. Um, and this this small town uh, in Wyoming, um, it, it's one of those places where you can just picture it in your mind. Um, there's this is this is not a, a metropolitan area. This is small towns, small business. Everybody knows everybody else. Uh, it's kind of a bleak tumbleweeds in you know in the wind sort of place. And so you can you can really do uh, so much imagining of what this place is like. But yet there's this huge paranormal um, surrounding uh, in in the story that Gregory just fleshes out so beautifully. And so so Mr. Big Empty uh, in the Hollow Folk series is 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 kind of what Vi has dubbed this this paranormal entity. And it, it revolves around uh, the disappearance of kids. So kids keep disappearing in, in the town. Some of them return. Some of them do not. The ones who return always come back with some sort of ability, some sort of supernatural paranormal ability. Um, now, Vi's ability was not acquired 
in that way, but he is psychic. So he, uh, so, so he is, um, a real target of, uh, of this paranormal entity. So, uh, amongst all of the supernatural goings on, one of the things that I really love about this, and, and uh, if you love characterization and just really being able to get into a character's head and pick them apart, I think Gregory does that so well. So Vi is a character who, uh, the name Vi, first of all, fits this fits this character so much because he fights for everything. You know, um, his, his upbringing was horrible. His parents were abusive. His dad is a drug addict. Um, he's in, in a foster home right now. There's, I, I will, I will throw out sort of a warning for anybody who might be considering this. Um, Vi suffers from depression. He self harms. Um, there is some suicidal ideation here. Um, there's drug abuse, not necessarily, not by Vi, but by one of the characters who is one of Vi's two love interests. So, so there is, it's, it's not a, a soft feel good, uh, teen fiction story. Um, but among all of the paranormal goings on is, is Vi's just, it's the, you know, the man versus himself sort of, uh, uh, theme running through it. And he does have two, two very viable love interests in, um, Austin Miller and Emmett Bradley. And these two boys could not be more different if you you know, if they tried, they just, you know, Austin is the, is the boy next door and Emmett is the bad boy, but both of them encompass so much of what Vi is because he's like, he's like the, the sinner and the saint kind of all rolled into one. And, and, uh, and so, so it goes through, um, his Austin's Emmett's and another group of, uh, uh, not only not only kids, not only teenagers, but adults as well, um, tr coming together and trying to fight off this paranormal entity. So um, it, it's just the action scenes are just absolutely just riveting. The action and suspense is so great, and and the suspense from the reader standpoint of how much more torture can these characters take before Gregory gives them some sort of a break I'm like I'll send you my therapy bill Gregory <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> because he really does he really does punish these guys so much um and, and you know and in the end there are just uh, still no easy answers there's just you know it's still just a one day at a time kind of thing Vi still loves both Austin and Emery or excuse me I now I'm getting my characters mixed up Austin and Emmett um and he just uh yeah it, it's it it just it this whole he wrapped the series up so beautifully and it ended really in the only way it could and and anybody looking for the happily ever after or half happy for now ending might not be satisfied so much but you know the way it literally the way he ended it it just couldn't have gone any other way because um 
you know, I, I in my review, I, I called, you know, Austin the sword and Emmett the shield, you know, and, and Vi is the warrior. And when you go into battle, you can't go without either a sword or a shield and survive. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's, he just needed these two boys in very different ways for very different reasons. And so it's just really, it, it's another really masterful series and another excellent job, just a job well done by one of my favorite, favorite authors. So definitely I recommend The Mortal Sleep. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Hollow Folk is high on my TBR, but I'm I'm determined to get through Hazard and Somerset before oh, yeah. he releases the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, I think he's got a new series he's working on mm-hmm. now and then might go back then out immediately after that to, uh, to John Henry and, and Emery. But uh, one of the things that I wish I kind of, you know, you you have to be careful what you wish for. Um, but I sort of wish that Gregory would uh, would consider somewhere down the road doing a little short story with Vi, you know, five, ten years later to kind of show us where he is. But uh, sometimes things are, 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 are better left unknown, too. Right. You know, I'll just in my head, I'll think, and he lived happily ever after. You put Vi <laughs> in the right spot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a lot of things to work through, a lot of uh, a lot of complications in his life, and and you know he's gonna have he's he's gonna have a hard hard road ahead. But he's just such a such a great character. Triggered my savior complex like no other character. <laughs> I just, just wanted to protect him. <laughs> now you also took a little adventure with a new to you author. I did, author M. A. Grant. She has written a series, uh, book one, it's actually going to be a trilogy, the Darkest Court trilogy, and book one is Prince of Air and Darkness. This author just blew me away. It was it was the first of this group of books that I'm going to be talking about today that I read, and I, I, it was literally, the at that time, the best book that I had written, read so far uh, this year. And it might, it, you know, it might still be, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've read some really amazing books uh, in the last couple of weeks. But uh, Prince of Air and Darkness is, is set in the court of the Seelie and the Unseelie. So, so the Fae is very involved. Um, it, it is a new adult. It's set in, in a school of, of magic, a university um, of magic. And Phineas Smith is the only human in this school of magic. Um, he, however... Has a, has a power that uh, he is trying to learn how to harness and control, and so he has been um, he has been taken under the wing, so to speak, of of Prince Rourke Line, who's a, a prince of the Unseelie Court of the Dark Court, and the, it's a very enemies to lovers sort of. I mean, they just butt heads and. Rourke, you know, Phineas's history with Rourke's mother is is very dark, and and so so Rourke had sort of taken it upon himself out of probably a little bit out of guilt over what his mother had done to Finn um, 
to to watch over him and uh, you know you never make you never make a bargain with the fae you never make the never make promises to the fae because it always comes back to haunt you but uh, but uh, Queen Mab uh, this is another thing this this series this world has such a pastiche of characters you know Shakespearean references um, uh, just different, you know, there's Kraken and there's a Seder and there's, you know, it's just all of this wonderful mishmash of legends and, and beings and characters. And, and, uh, you know, Emmy Grant just wrote this really amazing, uh, adventure of just anxiety. It gave me anxiety again, because, you know, there is just so much danger and so much at stake and so much drama. And throughout this, she builds this very, very believable relationship between Finn and Rourke. And um, it's one of those, you know, I can't fall in love with you sort of things because bad things will happen. And then they fall in love. And guess what? Bad things happened, but it all—it's it, you know—it's uh, it, it doesn't—it doesn't leave—it doesn't leave readers on a bad cliffhanger or or uh, or in a very negative place. She just really uh, brought everything around at the end to uh, bait that hook and make me so anxious for book two, which is um, it comes out in August from from Karina. So it's it's another uh, book that I'm really really looking forward to and I'm spectacularly excited about both this author and the series. So so Prince of Air and Darkness, if you like uh, speculative fiction that goes into, you know, urban fantasy, paranormal, fairy tale mythology, I can't recommend it enough. It's great. That's a great thing to be spectacularly excited. Yeah. <laughs> I so am. That is so awesome to feel yeah. that way about something. And you don't have to wait that long because August will be here before we know it. I know. You know, that's one of the one of the nice things about kind of uh, happening onto an author and a book that you had absolutely no expectations about whatsoever when you went into it is finding it maybe a little after the book came out and not having to wait so long for the next one. So, yeah. Now, I'm excited to find this next one on your list because you were so excited for Haley Turner back when we talked at the top of the year and what you were looking forward to. So yes. was this new book everything you wanted? Everything I could have asked for and more. So uh, the the book that's just recently came out is the sequel to her release last year, uh, book one in the Soulbound series, which is called A Fairy of Bones and Gold. And this book is called All Souls Near and Nigh, which... <laughs> You talk about titling two books just so beautifully. Um, this world is, is again, it's just another unbelievable urban fantasy, uh, just every, every sort of mythology from the, the Greek pantheon to Native American spiritualism. This one goes into Aztec gods. And it's just, she's created this amazing New York City um, where Patrick Collins, who is a special agent with the Supernatural Operations Agency, is a, is, is a, a mage. And he, uh, he gets himself into some investigations that are just 
incredible. Okay. So there's always just lots of danger and, you know, lots of action and murdery bits. And, you know, he just, there's, he's dealing with gods and goddesses and, you know, everything just seems to be going against him. And he's just got to fight tooth and nail for every single bit of progress that he makes in every investigation. And, uh, he, he, he is, partnered with his his love interest is happens to be an alpha wolf who is a lone wolf he is uh, he is a packless wolf in new york city and uh jonathan uh devere and so this is a, a lot of this second book deals with um them kind of starting to make their their own their own pack family and it's just there's a lot of just really bonding and warmth between between Jonathan and Patrick and the, and the two people who become uh, part of their part of their pack there's that warmth amongst all of this action and danger and suspense and imagination. Haley Turner's imagination is just off the charts, just, uh, and she can tell a story so beautifully that, you know, you just, uh, you get to the end of a chapter and you think, okay, it's time to stop reading. No, it's not. You know, you just, you just have to keep going until, until you're, you fall asleep with your eyes open or you're, you know, you're waking up with your Kindle dark in front of your face because, you know, you've fallen asleep because you couldn't put the book down. So, uh, All Souls Near and Nigh, the Soulbound series is just amazing urban fantasy speculative fiction. Uh, she's just, you know, I'd heard a lot of buzz about her from her Metahuman Files series. Um, and I, and I haven't, read that series yet but boy do I want to go back and read it because she has impressed the heck out of me with the Soulbound series so uh, this is one of those that I'm not sure when the next book is coming out because I snatched this one up as soon as as soon as it was available so I, I that's a I'm, I'm looking forward to the next book in this series really a lot because uh, there are some big things still on the horizon happening and and one of the things I love about a series uh, that's set in like a New York City a place where I'm very familiar with in Manhattan is that you get that sense of, you know, uh, when you're in Manhattan, there's almost this claustrophobic feel because everything is just so right, right here, you know, right in front of your face and everything is pressing down and there's this oppressive humanity everywhere. And so I love that kind of claustrophobic feel bleeds over into, into the story and the setting and the writing. She's just really, really a hugely talented author. I've got this one pretty high on my TBR. The series, actually, because, again, you add to my TBR relentlessly. <laughs> uh, but I totally know what you mean about, like, reading while you're falling asleep, too. I get to the point where it's like, okay, I have to put this down because I'm not really reading every word anymore. Oh, and exactly. I'm going to miss you're something. Yeah, or you read the same paragraph over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up the next morning and gone to the book and thought, I have no idea what I read. And so you have to go back a couple of pages yet to refresh your memory. Yeah. The hazards of being a dedicated reader. Exactly. But it's a sign of a good book to be like, I don't, I don't want to put it down, but I must. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is, this is one of those unput downable kind of series. She just does a phenomenal job with it. Fantastic. I'm glad that one paid off for you because you were so excited for it. So it absolutely did. I know you've got one more for us. I do. One more. Last one. Again, it's paranormal urban fantasy spec fic. Uh, Jen Burke. 
is an author I had never read before, but had heard amazing things about. She's got a sci-fi series that she writes with uh, author Kelly Jensen that I had just heard nothing but phenomenal things about. So when her book, Not Dead, Not Dead Yet, came out, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot and see, you know, just see what all of the fuss is about. And boy, was it earned. Um, Not Dead Yet is book one in the series. Uh, it's set in, in Toronto. So it's a little bit of a different, you know, for, for this American, it's a little bit of a different setting for me. I've never been to Toronto. So uh, it, it, it uh, is a story where she really bends the concept of paranormal. Um, her main character, Wes Cooper, is not quite dead, but he's not quite all the way alive either. So he can go ghost, but yet he's still sort of human. So it's just this very fun, I, I just kept thinking about uh, about Miracle Max in, in Princess Bride. He's, he's mostly dead, means slightly alive. Well, he's mostly alive, but only slightly dead. So he can go, he can kind of slip the veil between our world and the other side. So he uh, he is he is what he, a, a very fancy word for a thief. He's a recovery specialist. So people hire him to recover items. Uh, for example, um, an item that that might have ended up with the wrong spouse in a divorce. And, and so the spouse decides that they're not going to give back the property that is rightfully um, that person. So he goes in and just kind of five finger discounts it. He lifts it <laughs> while, he's, while he's ghosted. And so it's not really thieving, but yet it is. So this recovery specialist, Wes Cooper, um, witnesses a murder while he's in the veil. And it's a it's a murder that scares the bejeebers out of him because it should not what he's seeing should not be possible. So he ends up contacting his ex love interest, uh, uh, Detective Hudson Rojas. Now, the great thing about this is that that he and uh, uh, that Wes and Hudson had dated back in the 80s. So here we are, you know, 33 years after their breakup. Wes is still the same, you know, looks exactly the same age that he did when he died back in the 1930s. And so, so you see the 33 years later and you're wondering, wow, that's going to be quite an age gap <laughs> romance for Wes and Hudson, right? Because Hudson is, you know, in his late fifties, early sixties or whatever. And, and Wes still looks like he's 28. So the way that she weaves the believability and the plausibility of this romance was like, I did not see that coming. And what better feeling when you think, oh, this book is, you know, you're reading books and the, you get the familiar tropes and you get the, you know, the, some of the beauty of reading is the familiarity going into a book and know what you, knowing what you're going to get out of it in the end. But I always love when a, an author can do something that just was like, whoa, good job. You, you fooled me here. And I didn't see that coming. So, so th they begin to, uh, it's a very, again, and such an antagonistic relationship between the two of them in the beginning, because they did not, their breakup was not, it, it, they broke up due to irreconcilable differences, but it, it was not, uh, not a lovely breakup. Okay. 
wasn't clean and tidy. So, so you get all of this antagonism and, and, and anger kind of resentment from what happened in the past. And yet there's this underlying tension between them that you can feel, you know, Wes is still very much attracted to Hudson and you wonder why Hudson's being such a poop and he's, he's being not nice to Wes. And so you just, it's, it's lovely that, that she incorporated the tension of the murder mystery with the tension of their relationship. And so it all comes together in such a beautiful way to really uh, invest invest you in a, in a very visceral, emotional way and how she's going to make this all play out. So, uh, yeah, so not dead yet. You get murder mystery. You get unresolved relationship tension. You get the enemies, you know, the lovers to enemies to lovers vibe. You get all of the paranormal. Um, and then, you know, and, and, and a very... Um, very beautifully romantic resolution to it all, uh, which, which is again sometimes, you know, when you're reading romance, of course you're you go into it expecting that at least at the very minimum that minimum the happy for now, um, but sometimes things happen that just really touch your heart in a really special way, and that's kind of what happened in this book when it when it all came together. It was like, wow. You know, Jen just really did an amazing job of, of resolving uh, everything. So so that book uh, came out in February and the next book comes out in June again from Karina Press. I feel like I'm giving Karina Press a lot of love today. Um, but uh, yeah, so so the Not Dead Yet series, if you're looking for a book that just gives a really great twist to the paranormal uh, ghost trope, that is this book. It's just a lot of fun with some really fun surprises and, and a great, great, uh, happy, still happy for now, but still a very lovely romantic resolution to all the tension that she puts her readers through at the, at the beginning. Fantastic. Four yeah. just tremendous books. And yeah, let me yes. just go put all those on my TBR now yeah. for the ones that aren't already. <laughs> Yeah, this this was my theme, my theme, speculative fiction day, because uh, yeah, all all four of these books just uh, really really are stellar, stellar books. Four of my favorite books so far this year, hands down, hands Fantastic. down. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing these these four, and hopefully the readers will find something great to get them through the springtime. Yeah, I hope so. Even any one of these would even make a great summer read. You know, if you're hanging out on the beach or or just, you know, sitting out in the sun and, and you know, you want something great to read, all four of these books, I, I just thought were absolutely spectacular. So really, really fun, fun reading. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you back in a, in, in a few months. That sounds great. I hope to have uh, at least four more. Thanks very much to Lisa for those recommendations. As you heard within this segment, she certainly added to my TBR. And hopefully she brought out some stuff for you to read as well. Yeah. So guys, before we leave, did you know that the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has its very own Patreon page? Well, we definitely do. Um, Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers and musicians and, you know, podcasters as well. Um, it's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. And if you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week, Laquette joins us to talk about her newest book, Under His Protection. And uh, let me tell you, we got our hands on an early copy. I have read it, and 
Seriously, mind blown. I love this book so very much, and I cannot wait to tell you all about it. So please come back next week. Yeah, he has been raving about it while he's been reading it this week. It's really great, and I'm looking forward to talking to Laquette. Yeah. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.